Welcome to a special edition of the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, today it is Bicycle Day across the globe. And Bicycle Day celebrates that day uh, 67 years ago, on April 19, 1943, when Albert Hoffman intentionally took 250 micrograms of lysergic acid diethylamide and uh, <laughs> thought, he was going to go, thought he was going insane. But uh, that, uh, that's when he uh, rode home from the laboratory in, uh, in, uh, at Sandoz and took his uh, famous bicycle ride under the influence of a heavy dose of LSD. So we thought we would uh, have a special show, talk about that uh, uh, big day in the, in the history of all of us who enjoy uh, hallucinogenic drugs. And uh, so I started my bicycle ride about 7 o'clock tonight. <laughs> and I think I'm somewhat still uh, firmly in the saddle. So uh, if you'll indulge the nostalgic ramblings of an old man who's taken LSD for over 40 years, you might get a nugget or two of information that uh, you didn't know before. So anyway, today, Bicycle Day, 67 years ago, Albert Hoffman intentionally took 250 micrograms of LSD, uh, thought he was going out of his mind as he rode his bicycle home from uh, the laboratory to, uh, to his home. So it's kind of a big day. It's not uh, the news that we heard all about today. The news today was all about another uh, anniversary of sorts, the 15th anniversary of Oklahoma City. And uh, that was a horrific, uh, terrible uh, tragedy. So um, we thought we'd put a little more positive spin on the uh, historical value of today and talk about uh, Albert Hoffman and his creation, LSD. And I wanted to point out first, uh, I want to give a shout out to my to my friend Groundswell, if you're listening, Groundswell, um, this is this is for you. And I'm also going to uh, embarrass my wife Melissa and say that she's sitting here inside the the studio tonight with me, mostly to keep her eye on me. I think, <laughs> in, in case in case we get a little too a little too far afield. But um, if you have a, an interesting uh, LSD story, give us a call. Uh, 727-493-2205. And uh, we'll put you on the radio on this historic day and in, uh, in our particular history, Bicycle Day. So, I, you know, I was, I was sitting today, sitting around today wondering uh, how, how I was going to uh, do the show tonight. And I sat down and sketched out an outline and the like. And then I thought, well... <laughs> That outline might be a good idea now, but uh, maybe come 9 o'clock, uh, it won't seem as, as fresh. So I really don't have much of a, of a script for tonight, but as I said, if you'll indulge, the, uh, indulge me in these ramblings, there might be something of value that <laughs> you can take away from this. But again, if, uh, if you're bored listening to me, give me a call. We'll put you on the, uh, on the radio inside the Opium Den, 727-493-22. Zero five. 
I'm eating, I'm eating a little uh, watermelon. <laughs> it's very good. <laughs> but anyway, so no real uh, uh, perceivable outline at this point. So I would like to, to start off by saying, since this is Albert Hoffman's day, that my wife, Melissa, and I had uh, uh, the good fortune and the uh, luck of the Irish to... Uh, to meet Albert Hoffman and his lovely wife, Anita, uh, back in 2003. Uh, we traveled to, to Germany to attend the wedding of one of our young friends, German friends we met as an exchange student here in the States. And uh, we extended our trip to go to Switzerland to see if I could meet up with Albert Hoffman. Now, the, the, the back story to all this, I guess I should say that, is that uh, when I was researching my book, The Naked Truth About Drugs, when I came to the LSD chapter, I wanted to have some, uh, some, some more documentation about Albert Hoffman and the like. And then I realized, I mean, this guy, he's got to be dead. I mean, this was in 2001, 2002, I think it was, when I was doing the research part of that. And I thought, if the guy is still alive, he'd have to be like in his 90s. So what I decided to do, um, and in, my, in the course of my research, I, I came across the, a book that he had written, uh, first in 1979 in German, and it was translated in 1980 here uh, in the States called LSD, My Problem Child. So, um, Melissa, where was I going with that? <laughs> well, I said loosely, maybe I'm loosely in the saddle and not, not as firmly in the saddle as I thought. But anyway, um, so I realized I found this book and, and uh, there was only one edition because it didn't sell. I think it sold less. It sold more than my book, but it, <laughs> that's not saying much. But I found it in, the, in a rare books, uh, a rare bookstore. And uh, it was in pristine condition. You know, had these, they have all these different kind of, of uh, categories for condition and the like. But this was pristine, like new. And uh, I bought it. It was a lot. You know, it was like two hundred bucks. But I thought, well, this is great. You know, so um, I figured after I did this when I figured the guy was still alive. And um, I said, well, how can I how can I get this book? You know, to this guy to sign, uh, to autograph for me if he if he, <laughs> if he can still write. And I, would, I was going to send along my, uh, my LSD chapter from the book, so uh, on, the, on the off chance that uh, Albert Hoffman would, uh, would read it and, and correct me where I was wrong and, and generally just uh, uh, review it for me so that I wasn't making a complete fool out of myself. But anyway, so we sent the book, and uh, we sent the, the, uh, my LSD chapter. And we well, before we actually sent it, we had to go through and in some... Uh, some intermediary between us and, and Albert, somebody who had been long associated with Albert. Because once I found out he was still alive, he was like 95, you know, 95 years old. So, um, and I was astonished that he was still alive, number one. And number two, I was astonished that he was still in, uh, you know, relative good health and, and a very strong mind. So there was a fellow that knew Albert, and I found, I ran across this fellow, and we did uh, we did what we had to do, exchanging addresses, and he made sure I wasn't crazy, and 
uh, I sent the book in my uh, in my chapter to uh, to Albert Hoffman in uh, in Switzerland, and uh, I don't remember how long it was, but it wasn't uh, you know a great length of time. Um, back came the uh, the, uh, the Federal Express package or UPS, whatever worldwide, with uh, with the book signed uh, by Albert, and he in, in he enclosed a very nice uh, a very nice note, and so that was the beginning of our of our. Uh, Acquaintance, and uh, Albert was very, was kind enough to uh, to allow me to use uh, what he said about my LSD chapter as a as a blurb on the uh, dust jacket of my uh, of my book. But anyway, um, then in two thousand and three, was it three, Melissa? Yes, two thousand and three, we were over for the wedding and. Uh, decided to take a side trip to Switzerland to see if we could uh, meet Albert Hoffman. We knew the chances were pretty remote, but we thought if we didn't try, then uh, you know we wouldn't uh, be able to be satisfied with ourselves because we didn't know when we were going to be back in Switzerland again, which happened to be a few years later, but we didn't know that at the time. So Melissa and I, we, we, we uh, decided we'd try to, give, uh, try to find Albert Hoffman there in, around Basel, Switzerland. So we got to we got to Switzerland uh, that night, and uh, if I recall correctly, Melissa, there was some kind of a congress in town. A congress is what they call a convention. There was a congress in town, and there wasn't any uh, any hotel rooms. And when we travel, we travel light, and we also travel without many reservations because we like to get them at the at the time. We generally find that to be a, a cheaper and, and more fun way to do it. But our luck ran out on us that night because there was a uh, a congress in town, and there wasn't any any hotel rooms uh, anywhere in Basel. And uh, we were pretty disappointed because we had a lot of luggage and it was our first night in. But uh, through talking to one of the young ladies at one of the nicer hotels, she was able to uh, come to mind of someone who had a like a bed and breakfast on the outskirts of, of Basel. So on the off chance that would be, would be available, uh, the, uh, the nice lady at the hotel called and sure enough, uh, we were able to get that room. So we took a train and a tram and got there late at night. And it was a very beautiful section of town. We didn't know how beautiful it was until the next morning when we got up. But it was, it was dark and it was, still, it was still kind of raining. Wasn't it, Melissa, when we got there? Yeah, it was still kind of raining. And uh, we got in. The lady, she was just very gracious and it was a beautiful home. And she seemed to gen- be generally interested in, in who we were and what we were doing. And she's just a very, very nice lady. So we told her that we were in for the wedding and we had, you know, did a few other things and we were going to go to Amsterdam, but we were in Switzerland to try to see if we could locate uh, Albert Hoffman. I told her about, we corresponded and, you know, he signed for my book and all that. So she goes, well, you know, she had heard of Albert Hoffman, she said, but I'm, and I'm going to take her at her word, but I'm not sure after talking with her a little bit more, it was the same Albert Hoffman, but she said she knew Albert Hoffman and that was good enough for me. And uh, she said, well, let's just look and see if his number's in the phone book. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. The guy's not going to be in the phone book. Well, no sooner that I have that thought formulated in my head that the lady said, oh, here's his phone number right here. Let's give him a call. Well, in all the anticipation of, you know, getting to Switzerland and maybe seeing Albert Hoffman, that was all an abstract until that very moment when the lady at the, at the bed and breakfast said the next morning, here, I found his phone number. Give him a call and see if you can come over and see him. So, like I said, up until that moment, it was an abstract, and then it was all—it was—it was, it was the, the, the potential of reality was there, and the—and you have to move from the, the, the fantasy to the, the actual part. 
So I was very apprehensive, you know, and my wife, to her credit, she bullied me on and uh, said, you know, and they both bullied me, Missy and the, and the lady, into calling out. I said, well, I'll call him later. And they said, no, you call him right now. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I called out to, I called the phone number, and uh, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, it was Anita, uh, Albert's wife, who answered the phone. It was just a little old lady's voice. And uh, I introduced myself. I said I was Daniel Williams, and then I would, that my wife and I were here from the United States, and Albert had uh, read my work, and it was my way of, you know, introducing myself to her. And I said that we were, we were in Switzerland, and we were, you know, hoping against hope that perhaps we could at least come out and and meet Albert Hoffman and and thank him for, you know, how he changed uh, our lives and the like. So. I'm, I, I'm starting to make my pitch, and, she, and Anita's English wasn't that good. So she goes, excuse me, let me get you the man. So this, this man comes on the phone, and he sounds like he's in his 60s. So I thought, well, you know, maybe he was the caretaker, someone there on the grounds to help uh, Anita and Albert Hoffman in their, in their daily deals, because they were both in, the, you know, in their 90s, mid-90s. Albert was 97, and I think Anita was three years younger or four years younger. She was 93 or 94. And... Uh, so I start to tell this uh, this guy, I said, you know, I started my pitch again, you know, it was Daniel Williams and, you know, my book and his book and we're pen pals and, you know, I really would like to come out and shake his hand and everything. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to, I'm pitching this caregiver. And then all of a sudden the voice on the other end of the line goes, well, this is Albert Hoffman. And why do you want to come and see me again? <laughs> and then the, then the sweat just started pouring out of my head. I was like, well, this is interesting. You know, I've been, I've been pitching this guy, uh, to get me to the to the man, and he he was the guy, so that was kind of funny. And so I, you know, we we talked, and once we understood that, once I understood that I was actually talking to Albert, I went from, you know, I, you know, went to a little bit fuller court court press on uh, on getting out there to see him because maybe he came all the way from America. Please, please let us come out. So we're talking, and he was a very jovial man. He goes, you know, why do you have to come out and visit me? He said, you don't have an appointment. I said, no, we don't have an appointment. He goes, and he goes, and I'm 97 years old. He almost said it defiantly. I thought, oh man, this is this is going nowhere. So I I was using my best game and I was trying to you know win him over, obviously. And uh, I said, you know what? I said just just to come just to come out just to shake your hand. And I said, you know, we won't stay long at all. And when I said, we won't stay long at all, Albert Hoffman said, we? How many people you got with you? <laughs> and I knew that was my opening. I said, well, I said, well, Albert, it's just my wife. But I said, I'll make her stay in the cab if you want me to. So he thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. And it broke the ice. He said, well, you guys can come out and uh, I'll give you 20 minutes today. But you got to come and you got to do it this particular way. And we, you know, we would agree, we would agree to, to anything at that point. Well, you know, Albert Hoffman, he was 97, and Anita was 93 or 94. And they lived out uh, uh, in Riddermont, and uh, kind of out in the country. Uh, of course, any, most places out of the big cities in Switzerland, it's, it's pretty rural. But uh, it, was out, it was out a ways where he lived, and he was a protected citizen. I mean, Albert Hoffman was a famous man, and not only for LSD, but mostly for that. But he was a very respected and... Uh, uh, medical scientist. He uh, was responsible for a number of innovative drugs, and uh, three or four of them are still in uh, wide use today. So, anyway, he's a he's a you just can't go to Albert Hoffman's house. I guess is what I'm trying to say. We had to call his his like chauffeur cab company, and 
had to do the, you know, not, not the secret handshake deal, but we had to go and we had to get to his house on his terms, not ours. So uh, I was willing to, and we had to, we had to meet his driver at some, some little town outside of Basel, right, Melissa? We had to go there, and that's and this where his uh, his chauffeur, cab driver, fellow, protector would uh, would pick us up and then drive us to to Albert's house. And I was all willing to, you know, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I said, "Good Lord, you know, <laughs> we're going to go visit Albert Hoffman." I mean, I was like, I, I admit it, I'm excited today, so you know how excited I was back then. So now I'm thinking, oh God, this is actually now it is it is way past fantasy. It is reality. So, you know, I didn't want to be an idiot, and if I really was only going to get 20 minutes. I thought, well, first of all, I thought, how can I stretch that to an hour? But mostly I thought, well, what can I, what can I talk about in that brief period of time without, you know, w- w- and, and get, some, you know, get some completeness out of it? So all these things are running through my mind. And I said, let's just call a cab right now and have him pick us up and take us to where this little train station is we're supposed to go to by taking one tram and another bus and something. I said, let's not mess with with you know saving money to get to this uh, to this train station, that's what it was. It was Melissa and the lady thought it was foolish to spend like fifty Swiss francs or a hundred. No, it was a hundred Swiss francs. I'm sorry, dear. Oh, was it two hundred? It was a round trip, but we were. But anyway, it was a, it was it was a lot of Swiss francs versus what it would cost to take you know the trams and the like and the and the train. So they convinced me to take the train and the tram, and we got to where we were going. And uh, so all of this time, I'm worrying about getting to the to the designated point and being picked up by the chauffeur because this was one of those deals where I thought they'd, you know, hang around. You know, well, he's not here. Let's leave him another hour. So um, I was all uh, I was all preoccupied with that. But we got to we got to our designated point and we got there before uh, the chauffeur the chauffeur limousine guy picked us up. And it was very interesting. He was from Turkey, wasn't he, Melissa? He was from Turkey. And he was a regular driver for, uh, for, the, for the Hoffmans. And so he was, he was like vetting us. He was, he was checking us out to make sure we weren't, you know, just a couple of crazies that, you know, looking after, you know, wanting to come out and, and meet Albert Hoffman. So he was, he was very nice and very affable fellow, but you could tell that he had done this a number of times. <laughs> or not a number of times, but you could tell that he was practiced in the art of, of protecting Albert and uh, Anita Hoffman. Because they were treasures, plus they were, you know, in their nineties, for God's sakes. So we passed, we passed all of that, and uh, took a beautiful ride from the train station out to, to Albert's home. And it was in a, it was definitely in a rural setting, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a really big house, was it, Melissa? It was, it was, it was, a, wasn't tiny, but it was an average size house, but it was very uh, kind of contemporary looking from the, from the outside, but very warm inside and. Uh, and you could tell because they'd, they'd lived there uh, for forever. So the uh, the chauffeur driver brings us up and uh, lets us out of the car and walks up us, walks with us up to the front door and just to make sure that everything was finally okay. You know, he was he was that protective of Albert and Anita. He waited till uh, Anita answered the door and said, "Are these the you know, Mr. and Mrs. Williams? Are you expecting them?" And Anita nodded yes, and uh, and we were in. So. Uh, the uh, the cab the chauffeur limousine cab guy said, uh, "Call me when you're ready to go back, and I'll and I'll come and pick you up." So that was the arrangement, and uh, we were there for our 20 uh, minute visit with uh, with Albert Hoffman. What, honey? It turned into three hours. Well, yeah, it turned into multiple hours. But anyway, you're getting, you're getting ahead of me, Melissa. <laughs> so anyway. Um, 
uh, we get, uh, uh, we're, we're standing in the house and there's, there's Anita and she's about four foot three. She's cute as a button, but you know, 90, 93 years old. Um, and, uh, we walk in the house and it's empty except for, uh, for Anita. And, uh, And uh, so we're standing there, and you know we're kind of you know saying hello, and and everything was very very comfortable. But then out uh, out came Albert from behind uh, one of the doors in the hallways or something. Out out comes Albert, and uh, he's about five five foot nothing, and uh, but you know dressed very dapperly and and, uh, and very smiling. So you know hello welcome, and we walked over there, and he came down the steps because it was a little elevated area through the through the uh, library, like, and to the back bedrooms. But he came down and introduced himself, and, and Melissa and I felt immediately at, uh, at ease, and that was, uh, that was very good. He, he put us at ease. And uh, a conversation, you know, just started, and, uh, you know, we were in Switzerland, and we were talking about the wedding and why we were there and obviously how much it meant to us for him to, to give us a little bit of time to say hello and, and, and thank him and you know, have a small conversation and be on our way. So um, we seem to we seem to get along uh, very very nicely, pretty quickly. And I and I, I could tell that it was gonna you know it was gonna be more than twenty minutes, but not the the number of hours that it actually stretched out to be. But um, so we started and we were talking and uh, we we talked about uh, a lot of things. Uh, we talked about God. We talked about Timothy Leary. We talked about Nuclear power, nuclear war, the environment. He was 97 years old, and he was he was sharp as a tack, sharp as a tack, and he looked like he was maybe 80, Missy. I mean, he was just just a, a marvelous specimen of a of a man, regardless of being a uh, the creator of LSD or or anyone. He was just uh, in, in in great health and very very warm and very open. Well, one of my fantasies that I had, obviously. Well, I mean, obviously, if you were someone like me, once I knew that I was going to meet Albert Hoffman, uh, I thought, well, man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to do some Hoffman acid? <laughs> I'd done Osley acid and, and uh, some of the better acids over the years. So it was like, you know, one of those like, ooh, wouldn't that be cool? Well, of course, I knew that that, uh, that wasn't going to happen. Albert Hoffman wasn't going to go to his private stash and say, here you go, have <laughs> some LSD on me. So, um, but anyway, you know, those are the kind of thoughts are in your head. Well, the great irony, the great irony was that, um, at least for me, was that Albert Hoffman, uh, he, he, he produced his own plum schnapps. Now, Albert grew the plums on his, on his property, which was about 40, 50 acres, just on the Swiss-French border. You could see the Swiss Alps out of his backyard when the clouds were high. But um, he grew, the, he grew the, the plums, and obviously they came to collect them and distill them and produce his, his schnapps, but it came in a very nice bottle, had a very pretty label on it. It wasn't a, like a picture of his house or something missing on the, you know, like a, just a pencil sketch. Very nice, very professionally done. And it was, and it was uh, his plum schnapps, so he said that we should, toast, we should toast our meeting with some of his plum schnapps. Well, the irony, obviously, is um, instead of, instead of uh, sharing LSD with Albert Hoffman, I'm going, I'm going to share... Uh, plum schnapps, and I was a teetotaler, as close to a teetotaler as you could find. So imagine, uh, imagine the irony there when uh, we were going to toast our 
our uh, our first meeting and hopefully our friendship with somebody who's plum schnapps. So I, I, you know, I said I'm close to a teetotaler. I mean, I've worn the, the lampshade a few times, <laughs> but mostly I don't drink alcohol at all. It never agreed with me. And uh, once I discovered uh, cannabis back in 1970, it didn't matter anymore. So I'm very, very rarely do I drink. Maybe a, a shot at New Year's with our friends or something, but I can't tell you the last time I had a drink. So anyway, uh, so I, but I'd had schnapps before, the pl- you know, the cinnamon type. And to me, schnapps was, you know, it, was, it had a sweet uh, peppermint or cinnamon taste. And it, and it had a viscosity, like not, not as much as, not as thick as oil, but not as thin as water. You know, it kind of had a, a, a pour to it. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll drink some of his plum schnapps. Of course, I mean, I, I felt honored that, uh, that he wanted to, uh, to share. So um, he poured a glass for myself and he poured a glass for Melissa and he, and he poured a glass for himself. And I noticed when he poured it, it, it kind of poured like water. It didn't have that slow roll of, of, of schnapps, you know, that kind of liquid, velvety, velvety uh, feel. So we picked up our glasses and we, and we toasted and we took a sip. And we, <laughs> oh, this stuff tasted like gasoline. <laughs> Melissa looked at me and she, and, and Melissa, you know, she drinks, but, but, uh, she, she she couldn't do this after a couple of sips. She looked at me and said, I'm not doing this anymore. So I did, certainly didn't want to be rude. So I drank mine and I I started to drink Melissa's while, while Albert uh, finished his first glass. And before I had uh, before I'd finished, because he put about two shots worth at least in, in these glasses, at least two shots worth. And uh, so I not quite finished with Melissa's when I was starting to get a pretty good buzz out. I thought, well, this is pretty crazy. Here I am with the guy that created LSD and, and we're getting a, a booze buzz together. But I thought it was just a, a wonderful deal and and I certainly couldn't turn him down, especially when he poured himself another glass and poured another glass for me. And uh, so I sipped that one for, the, for about the rest of the time we were we were there, which was hours. And... Uh, and uh, Anita sat there on the sofa, didn't she miss? Remember when she kind of fell asleep? She uh, she served us some cookies and the like. She they were just, they were just immensely gracious, immensely gracious. And she had served us some some uh, some cookies and she sat down on the on the sofa while we were talking with Albert. And she fell asleep <laughs> sitting up. And it was the cutest thing. I mean, I'm not certainly not making fun of you, Anita, by any stretch. But she was so cute. She just fell fell asleep sitting straight up <laughs> on the sofa. And and we just went on and talked, and, and it was no big deal. And I don't know how long it was, maybe 15 minutes, not, not maybe no longer. She woke up and was like, oh, okay. And it was like just like she had not been asleep. And she got up, and, uh, and then she got this little pizza. that She cooked up some little pizza crackers or something. So anyway, we, we spent uh, a very long uh, afternoon um, with Albert. And actually, we were the ones that kind of had to tell him it was time for us to go because we were having a great time. And uh, what he told us was that um, it had been uh, years and years and years since anyone other than uh, family and good friends had been out to his his house and that we were essentially the the first strangers in in, uh, over 20 years. So that made us feel, feel very good as well. And uh, we were talking, as I mentioned, we talked about uh, a lot of things. Uh, but we got on the subject of, uh, of Huxley. What, honey? Excuse me. <laughs> Let's speak up. I can't. I asked him when the last time you did 
Yes, I'll, I'll forget. Yeah, Melissa wants to make sure that I don't forget to to give her all the praise that she definitely, indeed, deserves for asking the one question that I'd forgotten to ask of Albert. So, but I'm getting ahead, dear. You're making me get ahead of things. So, um, we talked uh, for. See, you made me lose my train of thought, honey. But that's okay. I'm glad you're sitting there. Huxley. Huxley. Yes, thank you. <laughs> See. <laughs> Okay, I feel a little more firm in the saddle now that Missy's, <laughs> Missy's got a good grip on the reins here. <laughs> but anyway, we started talking about Aldous Huxley and, uh, and the manner in which uh, Huxley died. And because in my research, I found that um, Huxley died of throat cancer and that he and Albert Hoffman had uh, been more than just acquaintances. They were good friends over the years. And... Uh, Huxley was dying of, of throat cancer. And this was 1963, so there was not nearly the, uh, the treatment remedies and, and enlightenment that we have today on, uh, on cancers. And it was a very uh, debilitating cancer. You couldn't swallow, and it was a, it was a very ugly, uh, ugly end. But they were trying to keep uh, Huxley as... as comfortable as possible during his last days. But the day he woke up, the, that he knew uh, was his last day, Huxley knew this uh, instinctively. And he was in pain that day, and he, and he scribbled a note to his wife that said, uh, 100 uh, milligrams intramuscular LSD. In essence, he wanted to have his wife inject him with LSD so that the day he died, he would die pain-free and in a hallucinogenic uh, rapture. So uh, the doctors that were at Huxley's side uh, said no to, uh, to Mrs. Huxley. They didn't think that that was a good idea. And to her credit, Mrs. Huxley uh, said, well, <laughs> fuck you guys. I'm going to do it because this is what my husband wants. So she injected Huxley with, uh, with 100 micrograms of LSD. And Huxley died that day, and he died... Uh, uh, pain-free and in the uh, in the thralls of uh, hallucinogenic uh, rapture. So he this note the long the long story I'm getting to here I'll shorten it up. Uh, Albert uh, uh, wanted to show us that note because uh, Huxley's wife um, gave that note to to Albert in a as a gesture of thanks you know an unspoken gesture of thanks that he that she felt that. Uh, Albert should have that uh, that note. So we were talking about Huxley, and I, you know, I mentioned that note. Albert um, got didn't he get up and go to the he went up he got up and went to the library, which was up a few steps, and he was pulling out different books and he was looking for this this note. He wanted to, to wanted to show it to us, and it wasn't like he needed to to prove it to us or anything, you know. But he was generally excited about showing it to us because you know I brought the topic up and he thought that was nice of me. But uh, he finally, we finally had to have him, you know, sit back down, and he couldn't find it. But he he was frustrated about that. But uh, you know, when we uh, when we talked about Timothy Leary, which was um, a subject, that, uh, a man that he uh, that both of us uh, had spent considerable time thinking about it up to that point, and um, Albert Hoffman met met Timothy Leary. Uh, he said twice uh, twice in his lifetime, both in Switzerland. Uh, different circumstances. The first time it was very nice, and uh, they spoke, and and uh, and Albert Hoffman thought that 
Timothy Leary, you know, presented himself well, although his ideas of a more recreational-minded uh, usage of LSD was not uh, was not Albert's uh, cup of tea at the time. And then again, uh, a few years later, where uh, Albert says that he, he seemed a little more uh, distracted when they met that time. But anyway, he had met the man twice, and uh, he felt that he was able to to, to make uh, whatever judgment calls or observations that that type of uh, relationship had. And we, we, we seem to agree that that uh, Timothy Leary uh, was, was maybe uh, at best a net neutral, but uh, maybe a net loss to the, to the whole uh, LSD uh, phenomenon that, uh, that Albert created in 1938. We thought that uh, that Timothy Leary, with his you know his the, the great mantra of the '60s was, you know, uh, turn on, tune in, and drop out. And uh, Albert uh, felt that that did a a disservice to uh, to his drug, which he believed was more of a. Are you getting some kind of feedback, honey? I haven't seen a little bit. Um, felt more of a, of a spiritual uh, drug, a therapeutic drug, as more as opposed to a recreational drug. And I and I tended to agree with Albert. I thought that uh, Timothy Leary uh, made it all sound uh, too easy. It was uh, he didn't speak to the to the downsides nearly as much as uh, he did to the turn on, uh, tune in, and drop out mantra. And that was uh, that was basically a marketing uh, phrase that they wanted to. They they felt that they needed something to to punch up the uh, the LSD experience, make it. Uh, uh, make it easily and, and, and well known. So that was the uh, turn on, tune in, and drop out mantra that uh, permeated the '60s and fueled the uh, the consumption of LSD. So we thought we both thought that uh, that Timothy Leary acted a little a little irresponsibly in the in the in the long run. And we but we also agreed that Timothy Leary did have his moments. Uh, it was Timothy Leary who um, took to the Supreme Court the challenge of his marijuana conviction. And with the unique defense that uh, he was, it was self-incrimination to uh, to admit to uh, doing drugs, and there were the Constitution uh, the limits against self-incrimination. The the Marijuana Tax Act of 1936 was therefore unconstitutional. And this was when President Johnson uh, was in the Oval Office. And sure enough, this challenge to the Supreme Court, um, Larry versus the the Marijuana Tax Act or whatever it was, Leary versus something, uh, the Johnson Supreme Court uh, found that the Marijuana Tax Act of 1936 was unconstitutional. So he did have his moments, and but he also had moments of, of uh, that were of, of more fault of his own than others. But he did have his moments. So we we agreed on we agreed that uh, that Timothy Leary may not have been. Uh, the best thing that uh, ever happened to LSD, but it did happen, and there was no sense in uh, in wondering how other things would, uh, how other methods would have would have worked any better or any worse. It is what it is. But um, the the afternoon uh, got longer, and uh, I was I was not getting any more sober. <laughs> Missy didn't drink any more of the plum schnapps, but I'd finished my plum schnapps. And by this time, we were just uh, we were almost like old friends. We were just very comfortable with each other. He was he, he was definitely in no hurry to get rid of us, and we were certainly in no hurry to leave, at least at that point. And we didn't we certain, but we also didn't want to, to inconvenience him. But we really felt that his 
that it, his warmth and his desire for us to stick around was genuine and we wouldn't have uh, done so otherwise. But the one question that I wanted to ask Albert that I had forgotten to, uh, to ask that now Missy can, can smile that she's going to get her due to in this, uh, more than her due to this story. But we were, uh, we had, we had uh, conspired, Melissa and I, we conspired earlier that if Albert would, uh, and he did, he did ask this on Albert, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, really personal and friendly, but he did, he did ask us to call him Albert. Um, we, uh, we were going to take a picture of Albert if he would let us uh, take a picture of him. And I told Missy that, you know, I would stand there with Albert and I would tell him on the count of three, smile, and that's when you would take the picture. But I had a secret deal with Melissa that when you're, if we were standing there to take a picture together, when I said on two, I was going to lean in and give Albert a big old kiss on the cheek, and that's when I wanted her to take that picture. So... Um, after that, after the afternoon, or as the afternoon progressed, and we really were just uh, enjoying uh, light conversation and, and heavy conversation at times, but generally it was very pleasant. And we decided to walk out uh, and out his back door of his house and, and look at the, look at his property. And like I said, it was only maybe forty or fifty acres, right on the Swiss-French border. And on a, on a good day, you could see the French Alps in the background. So it was a beautiful. Uh, a beautiful setting where he lived, and his house was was very comfortable, very very nice, and very lived in. So we went out on the back of his uh, on his back porch, and uh, he was talking, you know, telling us where we were geographically and the like, and speaking with great pride about his, you know, where he lived and you know his his land and how important that was, you know, nature and everything was to him. And the question that I had wanted to ask that I had forgotten, and uh, to, to Melissa's credit, she remembered, I wanted to ask him if he would, if he would confide in us. I mean, I even wanted to answer the question, whether I asked it or not. But I, I wanted to know uh, when the last time it was that, uh, that Albert Hoffman, uh, that Albert had taken acid himself. And that was the question that, that, uh, that I forgot. And it is the question that Melissa answered. So we were standing there in his back. Or no, Melissa asked, excuse me. And uh, we were standing there in the backyard, and, and uh, Albert looked at her, and he kind of got a little twinkle in his eye and a smile, and he said, he said, three years ago, which would have made him 94, right? He said, three years ago, I took a trace amount and walked around my property. And it was just, it, he said it in such a nice, sweet way that was like, well, that's really cool. That's what he did. I got my question answered, and, and he showed me what he did when he, when he took it. But he said, a trace amount, <laughs> a trace amount, for and, him wh- could be. and why? <laughs> what, honey? I said for him it could be. Well, no. At ninety-seven, at ninety-three years old, I'm sure a trace amount was probably in the in the forty to fifty microgram dose level. But it, whatever it was, uh, it was to him a trace amount, and and he he enjoyed it. So, um, what, honey? At ninety-four years old. Yeah, he was ninety-four years old, and, and again, he was ninety-seven when we were with him. So we had. Uh, we were outside, and you know, Ms. Ms. Melissa had her had the, had the question of the day answered, and I was feeling we were very relaxed and feeling very good. And I said, "Would you mind if we if we took a picture?" And he goes, "No, not not at all. Take a picture." I'm thinking, "Well, this is good," and because uh, he wasn't, you know, no hesitation. You know, some people may not want their picture taken, and I respect that. But he was, oh, no problem. Let's get a picture taken. So he had recently had his was his hip re, re had the surgery on his hip redone again. So he was walking with. Um, those kind of metal metal uh, crutches with the little 
uh, band that goes around your, your forearm to help steady. So, but he put those aside uh, to stand there and have his picture taken with me. So I told Melissa, I said, you know, when, when he counts, when, when I say two, I'm going to lean in and kiss him, and that's when you take the picture. So I'm standing there with Albert, and he's got his arm around me, and we're just kind of joking. I said, okay, now let's get ready. On, on three, Missy's going to take our picture. And he goes, okay. So I go one, two, and obviously I, I give him a big kiss, and Missy gets the picture. And his eyes are like, <laughs> they just got really big. The smile, he got a really broad smile and a, and a real happy kind of surprised look on his face. And uh, I got my picture of, uh, of kissing, uh, kissing Albert Hoffman on the cheek. And I also have a picture of, uh, of Melissa and Albert. He was just a very nice man. And uh, he, allowed us to, to, he allowed us in his home and spoke about very private, uh, personal things with us and spoke about issues uh, large and small. And uh, it, was a, it was a very wonderful day, and we finally said, well, you know, <laughs> we should probably be going. <laughs> so we called, uh, we called his, uh, his car service, and the fellow came back and uh, picked us up and took us back to the train station where it all began uh, uh, many, many hours and uh, many memories before. Uh, waiting to uh, to go out and uh, visit with Albert Hoffman, so we remained pen pals um, uh, after that, and he invited us to uh, his 100th birthday party. They were having a big international. It was the first ever international LSD conference, and it was going to happen in 2006 in Basel, Switzerland. And it was the first LSD symposium, not conference, but LSD symposium. And it was also uh, to celebrate Albert's 100th birthday. Now, he was 97 at the time, and he said, uh, you know, come to my birthday if I'm still alive. I said, well, okay, if you're still alive, we'll come to your birthday. And uh, he was still alive, obviously. So we went to, uh, to Basel, Switzerland in 2006 uh, to attend the International uh, LSD Symposium slash 100th birthday party for, uh, for Albert Hoffman. And uh, that, was a, that, was a, that was a wonderful affair. And... Um, they, the attendance uh, for this uh, first ever International LSD Symposium, uh, they had expected no more than uh, 1,000 people would attend. So they made the, the necessary preparations for that. They got you know, uh, a large number of, of headsets because they were going to simultaneously translate. So there was no delay in, in hearing and, and translating. So when everybody, if there was a German speaker, we had simultaneous translation in English and, and the other way around. Uh, English for for German, so that was very cool, and they had all the headsets set out, and uh, they thought maybe a, th- a thousand people would be uh, would be a good turnout. Well, it, it turned out that uh, over two thousand people showed up, and basically t- took over the town of Basel, Switzerland. And I take and I say take over in, in a very nice way. Um, you know, the where the Congress, where the symposium was being held, was in a was in the convention hotel, so most of the people were staying uh, in that hotel and, and some of the surrounding, uh, surrounding hotels. And um, it was a big deal. So the place was, uh, was jam-packed. It was uh, m- twice as many people as they, as they had thought and, and had prepared for. So there was this, this chaotic excitement of, wow, this is a, you know, really a big success, but it's also, Jesus, what are we going to do? Because automatically they had to begin looking for another thousand headsets, so everything just doubled, uh, over, you know, literally overnight during the last few days when they finally realized just how big a turnout they were going to have. Uh, but they, but it went off very smoothly, 
It went off very smoothly. And uh, I've been, over the years, I've been to a number of uh, convention-type uh, uh, events, uh, consumer electronics and, and uh, cellular and things of that nature. And uh, I've never been around a, a more mellow or more satisfied or more at ease with themselves groups of individuals than the over 2,000 people who showed up in, in Basel, Switzerland that weekend. Um, I think somebody tried to call in in the, in the, uh, in the Skype machine. Okay, there it is, it's back. Um, so uh, we met, uh, we, we went to the, to, the, uh, to the birthday party and, oh, on the phone. Okay, we got a call. Welcome to the Opium Den. This is Dan. Who's this? Hey, Daniel. This is Brian Bennett. How are you? Hey, pretty good, Brian. How are you? Did finally somebody finally get tired of my rambling and decide to call? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's been beautiful, but holy shit, dude. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You're tripping. Like I told you, man, that outline I made a few hours ago isn't holding up very well. <laughs> Now, you've done a great job, man. It was such a fantastic story. I loved it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm envious, man. It would, it, it would have been so cool to be able to do that. And absolute kudos to Missy for asking the most pertinent question. When all else fails, man, have a woman do it, please. You know, you know <laughs> the, old, the old saw is correct. You know, behind every good man is a good woman, and, and she's ready to go. Well, in, in this case, it's a very, it's a very good woman behind a <laughs> questionably good man. But it's, oh, no, it's, it's... <laughs> um, I hope I picked a good time to intrude. Uh, the, the the main thing I was I was hoping to accomplish was that uh, I had noticed that you finally started drifting off into the technical uh, event planning type of details, and this is a celebration of uh, of St. Albert Hoffman. Um, really, let, let's 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 sing his praises in the form of, oh my God, the experiences that I have had as a result of this guy having done that. Uh, it's pretty huge, isn't it, Brian? Oh man, it, 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 you, you know, everyone who's done it knows that you really can't describe it. Everybody that does it, does it for a different reason. Holy shit, Brian, the, <laughs> the Skype machine is lighting, is lighting up with, with more phone calls. I should do acid on my shows more often. <laughs> Everybody wants to tell me to shut up. <laughs> whoever it is that's calling. Yeah, whoever it is that's out there trying to call, hang on a minute. Brian will be done in a minute and you can call back. But I don't want to blow you off, Brian. Tell me, have you, you've done LSD, right? Many, many, many times. Okay. What, what do you remember most from your first? Give us, give us your LSD story and then get the hell off the air so we can get some other people on. Absolutely. My pleasure. I can't wait to hear the other stories. Uh, my story, the, the first time I did it was uh, basically I was a senior in high school. I was uh, working in a deli at night. And my friend had come by who knew that I was looking for it specifically and uh, came in 10 minutes before closing on a Thursday night, you know, like right before 11 o'clock slaps his hand down on the counter and says, here, here's a surprise for you. It's like a little tiny square of paper. It's like, I know exactly what that is. How much? A buck and a half. Cool. Done. A buck and a half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I go home, 
and I'm, uh, you know, like the whole family's in bed, and uh, I'm laying in bed, and I'm thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Why not? So I took it. And <laughs> what time in the morning did you take it? Um, well, by that time, it was probably close to midnight. Okay. So by the time everything got up. Did a little night tripping, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, well, and some day tripping. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and early afternoon. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what happened to me, basically, was that naturally, I mean, I like tripped. It was absolutely incredible. I just could not believe the, the, the feelings, the, the emotion, the, the visualization stuff, the sounds. Oh, my God. Absolutely incredible. Well, anyway, the sun comes up. I got to get up and go to school. Seven o'clock in the morning, you know, get up, get ready, go catch the bus at seven thirty, right down the corner. Go down to the corner. I'm still tripping because, I mean, for granted, I took this up at midnight and uh, had dark glasses on because the sun was out. And I'm standing there. I talked to my one friend at the stop and said, "Hey, you know, look at my eyes. Do I do I look different?" And he goes, "No, no, it's a problem." So well, I'm tripping my ass off, man. So I'm checking. Going to school, first class of the day, and you know, kids, don't try this at home. Co-ed gym. <laughs> We're um, Wait a minute, man. The, the the Skype machine. Hold on, Brian. The Skype machine is going crazy again. Okay. Uh, Linda and Ronald. <laughs> call back in a few minutes. Call back in a few minutes. Hang up and call back. That's okay, man. I'm just because while they're on the line, it's going bingy bongy, bingy bongy. Oh, <laughs> and so the Skype machine's going on. So anyway, I'm sorry. Get back to your story, Brian. Don't do this at home, kids. You said playing volleyball. I mean, for crying out loud, Kelly Gym was a brand new thing. We're seniors, and like this is what I got to be doing. I'm the best playing volleyball. This is not good. Anyway, uh, second or third class of the day was ancient Greek literature. The only reason I can remember that was because we had an in-class test that day. It's like good God Almighty, man. And I got the test back, you know, two weeks later, whenever the hell it was, and I got an A on it. And I wasn't <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> well, I wasn't a good student in the class, but I got an A on this paper, and when I got it back, I read it, and it's like, holy shit, I wrote this? I wrote this? Holy crap. And, and really, it was, an, it, it was an exhibit of what, of what LSD can do for you. It, it allows your mind to, to uh, I don't know, re- regain some extra power. It lets you get out there, power. doesn't it? Oh, my God, it's, it's just fabulous. Well, anyway, my buddy who gave it to me found me in, in, in uh, had a, a lunch break period right after that, and he found me in the cafeteria, and he runs over to me and says, hey, man, i got to tell you something. I said, like, what? He goes, like, hey, don't take that all at once. I said, <laughs> 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 oh, that's hysterical, Brian. Don't take that. I forgot to tell you, man. Don't take all that at once. Who the hell would think somebody would do that? You know, eleven o'clock at night, you got to go to school. You know, don't do that at home, kids. You know, this is a public service announcement. From- <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, that's uh, pretty funny, cool. man. Well, thanks for calling in, Brian. Oh, my pleasure, man. I, you know, I'll, I'll get on a show sometime when we're all coherent and talk about something else. Oh, it's not as much fun, but we'll try. Exactly. All right, take care, brother. See ya. Okay, groundswell. <laughs> Hang up, man. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Brian Bennett. Friend, uh, friend of the Opium Den. Brian has been in, uh, he calls in quite often, and he's always, uh, always a lot of fun. So if anybody out there that was trying to call a few minutes ago wants to try again, um, the lines are open. Uh, 727-493-2205. Give us a call and... Uh, Tell us, uh, tell us your LSD story, because today is Bicycle Day across the globe, 
We are celebrating the 67th anniversary of Albert Hoffman intentionally taking LSD for the first time and uh, started this revolution, at least in, in uh, that particular area. So uh, where was I, Bill? So let's, let's talk about what, <clears throat> what, what LSD has had impacts on other, uh, on other aspects. I mean, it kind of got a bad, uh, bad rap as a, as a hippie thing, you know, and, <clears throat> and all of that with Timothy Leary and, and the like. But let's look, let's look at, the, at the broader palette of, of, of LSD and its influence on, on culture. There's a, I read a very interesting book a few years ago. I'm not exactly sure when it was, uh, when it was published, three or four years ago, I think. It was by a New York Times writer. His name was uh, John Markoff. And the, the title of John's book, I thought, which, which you know, caught my eye right from the get-go, uh, the title of John's book was What the Dormouse Said, How the 60s Counterculture Shaped the Personal Computer. And um, it, was a, it was a very detailed and very accessible... Um, oh, we have a, we have a caller. <laughs> Hello, you're inside the opium den. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Groundswell. Yes. Speak up, man. I can hardly hear ye. Okay. Are you seeing the uh, radio waves? Am I? No, unfortunately, I'm not seeing the radio waves. I had high hopes, high hopes to see the radio waves, but at, at best, I'm just getting a little little glow like around my my tube amp you know when it's dark and we've got the tube amp on and it glows that's kind of like where i am okay well do you think it's time for another booster no probably not probably not at this juncture no probably not at this juncture but at least you had the experience again something that most people won't have and you were able to partake on it on the anniversary of the bicycle. So I think uh, when the show was done, you should go and take a bicycle ride yourself. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll put my light on and just see what happens. But I want to—I want, I want to say, Groundswell, I want to tell everybody that's listening, those few or many that are out there. Um, Groundswell was my was my guest here inside the Opium Den uh, studio last Thursday night. And uh, we had uh, technical difficulties, to put it mildly, and we were unable to, uh, to broadcast Thursday night. And then we thought we had everything put together uh, Friday night, which is actually uh, the 16th of April, which was the first time that uh, Albert Hoffman did LSD. That was his unintentional uh, trip. But, uh, so we were going to try to commemorate that day, the actual very first time that Albert uh, took LSD, and Comcast had some kind of a power outage, and we couldn't, uh, and we couldn't do our show together Saturday night. So it's, it's, I don't know what kind of karma, or Friday night it was, you know. I'm not sure what kind of karma it is that everything is working again, and, and, the, L- and the LSD ferry <laughs> flew over our house today. So, but uh, Groundswell is my, is, my, uh, is my tripping partner. And uh, uh, just uh, glad, you, glad you called in Groundswell, and... <laughs> what do you? What, what can you tell us? Missy's sitting here just grinning at me like you big idiot. Shut up and let Ron talk. So I'm going to shut up and let Ron talk. Well, I, I can say one thing. Uh, we've had some great times uh, during the past 
15, 20 years. And um, the tripping, it wasn't often, maybe once or twice a year, but uh, the experiences were great. Uh, we had some really good times. We uh, really had some good sensations, some good vibes. Uh, unfortunately, as time went on, the LSD was less potent, uh, either to lower uh, dosage within the actual hit or the, or the actual hits that we had getting older and aging. And really, the problem now is you can't really find any LSD today like it used to be in the old days, which for us is pretty old. Well, I think it's still out there, Groundswell, but I don't think it's as common. We're not going to get our hands on it. <laughs> we, we, well, get the, yeah. we get the we get the blotter stuff like a, like we uh, like we did today. I know. Well, I'm hoping that you're having a good trip, and uh, hope everything goes well with you and Missy. And uh, I will call in later. So, okay, later it is then. <laughs> okay, Ronald, talk to you later. Okay, Brownswell. <laughs> oh, God. Shoot me down. Shoot me down. So anyway, we're, uh, we're 57 minutes into our, our first hour celebrating. Yeah, we've been, I've, been, I've been flapping my gums for almost an hour now. Uh, bicycle day. It's still bicycle day, so we're still riding our bicycle, or I'm still riding the bicycle, and and Missy's has a has a firm firm rein here to see uh, they don't go too far off the rails. But I was talking about before before Groundswell called. Um, I was talking about John Markoff's book, What the Dormouse Said: How the '60s Counterculture Shaped the Personal Computer, and um, it was a very well reviewed book. And again, John Markoff was a New York Times uh, writer, so he was a, a well-known fellow, and uh, it wasn't just a, you know, a sidebar uh, to the book. It was actually a, a fundamental, underlying theme of the book that, in the early days of the computer industry, this is before Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and and the Allisons and the others of the of the personal computer world came into play. Uh, back in the very early days. LSD played a very prominent part in the lives of these computer scientists and engineers and, you know, literally rocket scientists, guys out uh, trying to put this personal computer industry together. Uh, and, and John wrote in his book that at night, these guys would go up in the hills above uh, Palo Alto and uh, do large, <laughs> large amounts of, uh, of LSD and uh, trip in, in code and do whatever uh, helped uh, to expand their mind and whatever came, uh, came with that territory. So they were up most of the night uh, tripping wildly on high doses of, of LSD and then going back to the lab and uh, tra- trying to transpose all that into, into code and how the, uh, how the computer industry was going to work. So it's interesting and, and, little, and little known uh, that... Uh, many of these uh, early pioneers in the computer industry, uh, I, w- I won't say were guided by LSD, but they were certainly enhanced uh, by LSD, and many of them uh, knew that it was more than just a, a casual connection, that uh, the advances that came to them uh, 
uh, came to them outside of uh, of the LSD experience. So that's a very that, that's a very interesting uh, aspect of of LSD because in the conventional understanding, most nothing really started until nineteen uh, you know until the sixties with Timothy Leary and the like. So everything uh, prior to that. Uh, most of us don't know uh, know much about, but uh, when LSD first uh, came to, to prominence inside the medical world, and it was used primarily uh, initially uh, as a medicine for psychotherapy and schizophrenia, which didn't work out all that well with with schizophrenia with, with uh, schizophrenics, but it did have uh, you know great medicinal uh, values as a tool in uh, psychotherapy and psychiatry and the like. So it started out uh, in in, uh, in that vein. Again, this was long before Leary and you know Pink Floyd and the Grateful Dead and Ken Kesey and Tim Wolfe and Peter Max. All way before, way before all of uh, all of that came to play. There was uh, uh, a medicinal value to uh, to LSD, and that's what that's what bothered I think Albert more so than anything. The promising research that was being conducted. Uh, using LSD as a, as a medicine, all of that research was just slammed shut as a result of the uh, the explosion of LSD use in the, in the counterculture. And uh, I, I think, and I, and I tend to, I have to agree with Albert. It did it did stop that uh, that research, which is only now recently being uh, being conducted again by some very uh, very good and very smart doctors and and. Uh, and uh, theoreticians, uh, Rick Doblin being one, and, and, and his organization, MAPS. But all these medical advances that they're beginning to understand uh, about LSD, all that had been, had been, been stopped for f- over 40 years because of the, uh, of the, the, the recreational use, more so than a medicinal use of, of LSD. But to, I'm going to digress a bit, and when I... When I when the, Melissa and I, <laughs> when Melissa and I were at uh, visiting Albert, he talked of, of LSD as a as a as a sacrament, as a as a as a medicine, and uh, I said, okay, in that context, I said, if if it, if it were to be prescribed as a medicine, when do you think people should take this? I mean, when when would you prescribe um, LSD if it was a if it was a medicine? And he said, well, if it, was, if it was to be used in my, he said, in his mind, if it were to be used as a medicine, you should take it first in your early 20s, in your, in your young adult life, to give, you a, to give you an enhanced or a different perspective of, of your worldview. He thought that that would be the first time and that would be a, a, a good thing. And then he felt, again, in, in middle age, you should take it again. Uh, another high dose and reflect upon the, the 20, 30 odd years that had passed between the, the first time you had taken and how your worldview world evolved and, and just take, take stock of yourself and, and, uh, and look inside. And then he felt um, a third time uh, would, be, would be good as a medicine and this would be uh, in your later years to, uh, to give you a more a, a more encompassing worldview, and uh, and um, give you uh, give you that perspective of a, of a lifetime of of consuming a uh, 
a, a, a sacred medicine drug to to enhance your uh, your your concept of, of reality and the spirituality and the and mystical quality of, of God. Um, Melissa wrote me a note here. Oh, set and setting. Well, yes, yeah, set and setting was very very important. But we were talking about. Um, oh, Melissa, help me again. So you wrote that down and you, and you took me off the rails there. Well, nobody still listens. So what the hell? <laughs> but anyway. I forget where I was going with that, but it was it was actually going to end up in a good place. But uh, for for medicinal use and the like, so yes, all these this past forty years research into LSD was was shut down as a result of of Timothy Leary and the counterculture, and that was that was a shame because we are finding now that in low doses, non hallucinogenic doses of of LSD, it works in over eighty percent of the time. Uh, in uh, mitigating or eliminating cluster headaches. They have found that small doses of LSD do wonders for uh, relieving the the pain of uh, cluster headaches. And they're also experimenting with with, with uh, hallucinogenic doses, but smaller, not, not quite the, the mind-blowing doses of the 60s and the like, but in smaller doses to enhance... Uh, and to and to and to help transit people from from when they know they're dying to the actual time that they do die that transition period how you feel about uh, knowing that you're that you're going to die and that <clears throat> they have found that you know small uh, hallucinogenic doses of LSD help help in that transition period it doesn't take them out of their out of their mind obviously but it but it does take them out to a certain extent and it can uh, Enhance and make the transition uh, from from life to death much much easier and much more palatable for people, and um, so that that research is is being done again, and and it's good that it is, and uh, <laughs> anyway, well, now it's now we're an hour and six minutes into the show. If you're still listening to me, you're 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 having pity on a pity on an old man. But give us a call at seven. If you're still up, give us a call seven two seven four nine three two two zero five, and uh, help us celebrate Bicycle Day. But I probably shouldn't spend uh, too much more time putting nickels into the wave streaming machine. If we don't get another call in the next few minutes, then I'll think that well, we're just we're just passing through Bicycle Day, and it's and it's time to uh, to call it a night. But I've had a great time uh, this past hour or so talking about LSD and celebrating uh, in, our, in our own way, Bicycle Day, uh, across the globe today. And I want to thank uh, Brian, and I want to thank uh, Groundswell. <laughs> Sorry I used your name, man. But uh, thank Groundswell for calling in and, and, uh, and sharing, the, sharing with us uh, some of their memories of LSD. So... Melissa, is there anything that you'd like to say here before we, uh, before we close up shop? Okay. Well, I don't want to close up shop right immediately. And I didn't talk about uh, a lot of the things that I thought I would talk about. But I do want to talk about something that uh, I, I would be remiss and I'd be mad at myself if I didn't talk about. Now, this is Bicycle Day, as we mentioned. It's April 19th, uh, 2010 and April 19th, uh, 1943. Uh, was Bicycle Day when Albert uh, took 
uh, LSD intentionally for the first time. Now, this is from his book, um, uh, LSD, My Problem Child. And I'm going to share something with you that, that kind of made me want to go, hmm, <laughs> when I thought of it, when I read it. So this is on page 16 of his book, uh, LSD, My Problem Child. And he talks about his uh, self-experimentation on, uh, on the 19th of April, 1943. So these are actual um, sections of his notes that, uh, in his journal that day. So it's kind of, you know, scientific, journalistic-looking thing here. But uh, the, he has the date, 4-19-43. And then he lists the time, the precise time that he took uh, 250 uh, micrograms of, uh, of lysergic acid diethylamide. Uh, he wrote down the precise amount he took it and the, the precise amount he took <clears throat> and the precise time that he took it. And this is, uh, this is where I'm going with this. The precise time that Albert Hoffman took LSD 67 years ago today was, according to the notes in his journal, the time was 1620. Now, that's military time. If you break that down, that is 420 in the afternoon. Albert Hoffman took precisely at 420 in the afternoon on the 19th of April, precisely took... Uh, 250 micrograms of LSD. I just, I, I, you know, I had read this book several times and I'd, and I'd read that passage several times and it was today for the first time it actually kind of went, whoa, that's 420. And that is just, you know, you can't make that kind of shit up, you know. It's just, it's, it's, it's very odd in, a, in an almost cosmic occurrence that uh, 67 years ago today at 420 in the afternoon, um, Albert Hoffman intentionally consumed 250 micrograms of LSD so there was a couple. There was a lot of things I had, uh, you know, checked in the book uh, to talk about tonight, and uh, obviously I, I uh, blazed right through them. But uh, I, I would like to I would like to finish up tonight with uh, with a quote uh, from Albert. Albert was very was very generous to me. He allowed me to quote extensively from his book LSD, My Problem Child. He allowed me to quote extensively. Uh, in, in my work, The Naked Truth About Drugs, and my, and my chapter on LSD would not nearly have been as, as complete or as informative had, uh, had I not been able to make the acquaintance and then the friendship of, of Albert Hoffman. So these are the last words in Albert Hoffman's book, the LSD, My Problem Child. And I thought we might as well just end up with that. And uh, this, is, this is the last paragraph. And it's all in italics. He wrote it in italics for, for emphasis. I see the true importance of LSD in the possibility of providing material aid to meditation aimed at the mystical experience of a deeper, comprehensive reality. Such a use accords entirely with the essence and working character of LSD as a sacred drug. Albert Hoffman, 67 years ago today, the bicycle ride. Good night.